Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us uh, for episode two of Coinbound, where we will be discussing marketing in the cryptocurrency industry. Uh, today, we're going to focus specifically on content marketing. We have Aaron Mangle um, going to run us through what content marketing is and how he uses it. He's been involved in crypto for, for a while now, and he's worked on some really interesting and, and big projects. Uh, so he'll tell us a little about content marketing and how that ties into crypto. Um, before we get started, a quick little update. Coinbound is now on five podcast platforms. We're on Anchor, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, and Radio Public. So depending on you know what's most convenient for you, check us out on those. All right, Aaron, thank you for joining us. Uh, before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, You know what you've worked on, what you're about. Go for it. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, my background is in... I went to college and did business develop or business management and uh, with a marketing concentration that was at NC State out in Raleigh, North Carolina, grew up on the East Coast. So that was where I kicked off my business career. And I really did lean into business development, which culminated into like 11 at this point, 11 plus years of business development sort of uh, experience, business development manager type roles. So I was a part of a college hunks hauling junk, which is a junk removal franchise there was the they started the Raleigh location. It was among maybe the first like 10 or 12 franchises to be launched. And I got to see, you know, it's a very it's a much more traditional business model compared to digital. Um, you know, mm -hmm. you're you're doing more traditional, you know, you're set you're buying trucks, you're setting up an office, you're buying, you know, marketing collateral, like, you know, physical signs that we would like put around town and stuff. So I think seeing that type of activity right out of the gates of school. And even though I didn't really, I still always was leaning into blogging and social media. And I always brought that into any company I was with. Um, but it's funny how, yeah, like we had a, you know, franchise manual, like operations manual. So that I think really grounded me in business knowledge and business process. So as time went on and I really realized, wow, I really enjoy marketing. I'm passionate about it. I had a great base because I wasn't coming at marketing from sort of a like siloed perspective. I understood like being sort of the guy in charge. And so with the college chunks on junk thing, you know, I eventually I was hired on as the first you know employee and it got to a point where I eventually was running the trucks and managing the freaking franchise and kind of took over my life, to be honest with you. And I didn't own it. So that was very weird. But, you know, you go to like Jimmy John's or Quiznos or Subway, and these are very like processized um, businesses. And I actually think that it served me really well, even though like those businesses can kind of be a grind and have a pretty, you know, not so great ceiling because like how much are you going to really make in one of those franchises? They're really expensive to run. And like no one's, I think, getting crazy rich on as a franchisee, at least. Right. So. But it was nonetheless very good to teach about process and turning a business into a process. And I think getting that franchise given to the owner and myself as someone who was implementing the steps in the franchise was a great experience and way to start a business career because uh, and eventually marketing because I'm always going to be grounded in that knowledge of what does a real business look like and feel like, you know? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, so you know, obviously, this podcast is focused on crypto and you know, marketing in crypto. So, what eventually brought you into you know cryptocurrencies and and, and that's that whole industry? Yeah, for sure. So, like I'd mentioned, I was in in North Carolina. Um, so, I 
had discovered or Bitcoin around 20, maybe 13 around there. And I was barely dabbling and mining and it was really hard and like just really terrible. Honestly, it was just really difficult. And it just felt like you weren't doing the right thing. Like now it's like, of course, you know, it's, it's so obvious. Why wouldn't you do have done it? But back then I can really remember the feeling of like, it wasn't obvious. And you know, it, it, it had that uh, quieter like feel to it. And it, and it actually at the time, you know, it might seem like that's so cool to be a part of this stuff early, but I would argue it was so much harder. It was like every year that it was less known, it was exponentially harder because there was sort of less of a social support around it. Anyway, I ended up leaning into the Triangle Bitcoin meetup. So that was actually like a, a really big, important hub for getting started. And like, I don't care how digital we get. These meetups are so important. And I have gone back and forth with events because I feel like I'll kind of go through cycles where I'm like an event junkie going to like billions of events, it feels like. And then I'm going to none. So but I can I can say even reflecting here. I can say that that meetup was really, really important because it gave me sort of a, a decentralized community, if you will, but still a community to just tap into and start learning about the community, you know, the community. And we we met in a uh, it was so funny. No, no joke. We were in a Panera bread where okay. we would have our meetings and be like 30 of us in a corner. We eventually <laughs> got ourselves into love sort it. of a huh? I love it. Yeah, it was super random. And it was, again, Raleigh, North Carolina. So, you know, I don't think. It's not like it's a humongous, crazy tech hub. I mean, there is Raleigh Research Triangle Park. But yeah, it was a very like tight knit, smaller community. But we we eventually got into this place called uh, the Underground, which is sort of a, you know, sort of co-working space, which is not very common over there. So this was like a ha one of a handful. So we eventually got the group in there. And that was a really great sort of synergy. But yeah, um, that was sort of where I really kicked things off. And then I eventually decided to come out west because like I said out east it's a little bit more limited unless you're maybe in like a New York or something um so I really just was like hey let's come out west and I ended up in in SoCal in LA and since then I've just been floating around different conferences and I'd been working in IT and uh and then eventually made the leap into blockchain and so that's kind of the last like I'd say two to three years have been a lot more hardcore like jumping into crypto in particular to come back to your original question so yeah that's uh, that's that's kind of a long answer to your. Question. Yeah, I mean, we we met at what was it? Uh, Crypto Invest Summit, I think yep. it was. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, we had a, a a mutual interest in marketing, so I'm glad we, we oh, got yeah. to talking, and, and and now we're doing this. Um, totally. When we first met up, we we discussed, you know, sort of our our backgrounds in marketing because marketing is a a huge industry. When people say, you know, sometimes people send me an email, hey, you should probably know about this new marketing company because they could be a competitor. And then I look into them, I'm like, all right, they're doing something entirely different. Marketing is huge. Um, there's so many, you know, capacities to it that, that you know, when, when I spoke to you, you mentioned content marketing, which is something I, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I want to talk about it. I, I'd really like to be the, the focus of this, this podcast episode because not a lot of people know what content marketing is and it's mm -hmm. really, you know, a potentially powerful thing. So in your own words, what do you think content marketing really is? What's like an example of it? Just, you know, in, enlighten us. For sure. Well, you know, it's funny because a lot of people, you know, might remember the direct mail order era and, you know, like you'd, you'd open a magazine and it would say, hey, you know, get your free 
golf, you know, course or like free golf lessons course, just, uh, you know, send us or call this 800 number and we'll send that to you. We'll mail it to you right away. And why would you opt into that sort of golf course right from a magazine? Well, you're opting in because you want to learn something and it's like, oh, free course. Fantastic. So it's kind of funny because everyone, you know, when you go out there on the web, it, it might almost seem a little annoying at this point, right? Like everyone's got their funnel and their course and their how to become a millionaire, right? But it's really truly rooted in education. And so educational marketing um, and direct response marketing to be specific have been around for a long time. In fact, that was to me a much more like before we had mass media, before we had, um, you know, radio and TV, like it actually was normal to do content marketing mail order, in my opinion. And we can look at the ads to see evidence of that was very much oriented around content marketing. Um, so, so to answer your question, content marketing to me is educational marketing to, to keep it you know, to keep a simpler definition. So when we say content marketing, we're really talking about educating the audience or, you know, people have also thrown this term around brand journalism. There's always some, I like the marketing, uh, like we eating our own dog food within marketing, you know, there's all these crazy terms. It's like, oh, let's re let's remarket marketing. Right. So uh -huh. in a way, part of me just feels like what if content marketing is just educational marketing and direct response marketing rebranded under a new term that, is new and everyone understands. Um, I do think there's more to it than that because digital has brought uh, the means of production to everyone. Everyone can have a YouTube, a podcast, a blog, if they know how to use the tools, of course. But uh, yeah, I would say content marketing is, you know, educating your audience uh, through your information you're putting out around your company. Back to the golf example, like let's say we didn't even have radio, we didn't have TV. So I want you to buy my, you know, golf training. Well, I'm going to advertise to you in a magazine, a golf magazine and say, uh, call us at 1-800-FREE-GOLF to get your free golf course. You see what I mean? So we can see the history of content marketing long ago, well before this term was even coined. So I don't know. That's a long answer again, but that's how I do no, it. No, no, it's, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. So so an example of content marketing that I always think of, and, and tell me if this, in your opinion, is content marketing, because the definition does um, vary a little bit depending on who you ask. But I think of, you know, creating blog posts, for example, um, maybe you're interested, you know, let's, let's go with your example of the golf course. I want to look at golf clubs and find out, you know, what the best golf club is of, of this year of 2019. So I go into Google or whatever, whatever search I use and, and, and look up, you know, top golf clubs of, of 2019. And, you know, people, I think sometimes people don't realize that those things are written by people marketing to you. They're not, yeah. they're not, they're not spending that time, you know, analyzing all these golf clubs just because they're into golf. There's, there's a reason. And if you, you know, if you click on those yeah. links, they're, they're, they're to someone's golf clubs who are, who are writing that. So it, is, is that content marketing in your, in your opinion? I think so. Um, I mean, you know, if you wrote like a golf club's buying guide, um, yeah, exactly. that, that might be even broaching into sort of the advertising catalog arena if we want to split hairs here, okay. uh, which of course we are. That's the point of talking about it. But, you know, I would say it's kind of a, if we, you know, like I said, if we're going to split hairs, I would almost say it's leaning a little bit into advertising because that's kind of like catalog like. And, you know, I think Sears, was it Sears or, or it was like Lloyd and Taylor, like a, 
Claude Hopkins is like a, you know, let pretty legendary copywriter. And if I'm not mistaken, I think William Lord. So the, the Lord person from Lord and Taylor hired Claude Hopkins in like the early 1900s to make him a catalog. And he paid him like a million dollars, which must have been a crazy amount back then. But what I'm getting at is like, I think content marketing and advertising, there is probably some crossover. And I would say it is still content marketing to me, but there's definitely a solid amount of crossover into advertising, which is, I think, the point of sort of catalogs like catalogs were almost like, oh, let's showcase products in a like methodical way in front of people. You know what I mean? And so uh, so a buying guide, for example, I would say it's like a cross of, of both because and the reason I say a cross of both is because you're still kind of encouraging people to like buy or like which club should I buy? Whereas pure content marketing might be something like how to improve your golf swing or how to improve your putting your short game or you know what I'm saying? How to avoid sand traps. That to me would be like pure content marketing, not advertising, but it would still be trying to lead you to the same place, which is to buy eventually. So maybe your how to improve your short game would lead you to, oh, golf club buying guide, because I was thinking about my short game. Now I'm thinking about buying a club. Oh, yeah, let me check out this buying guide because I am kind of interested in buying a club. But I think that to get, you know, we're, like you said, we'll get into it more. But I think there's something to be said about where where are they in the buyer's journey, as they say, um, and different content might apply to different parts of that buyer's journey, you know? So um, like I said, there is a crossover, but uh, it's also like where they are in the process. Are you just kind of like driving them to your site? Like you said, just kind of like read up about golf, maybe not even advertising focus, but eventually you want them to find that buying guide, which might eventually have a coupon code, which hopefully will lead to a sale, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so content marketing, uh, you know, specifically for crypto, how, how is content marketing unique in crypto compared to other industries? Is there, is there anything about crypto that that needs to be taken into account when you're doing content marketing? Yeah, it's, it's a funny, uh, it's a good question. I think, you know, if you really think about what is crypto, it's this crazy amalgamation of fintech and uh, SaaS and databases and engineering and like enter basically enterprise IT like blockchains are enterprise IT like IBM is selling servers for a hundred grand with blockchains on them. You know what I mean? And so if you really think about it, it's it's just like multiple industries being spliced together. So to answer your question, absolutely, there should be things kept in mind, namely that we're dealing with B2B. It's almost like people don't realize this is a business to business construct. Like, are you going to seriously go on the street and be like, hey, man, you want a blockchain? Like, no, no one needs a blockchain. Um, companies will need blockchains. Governments will need blockchains. Enterprises will need blockchains. Nonprofits will need blockchains. Any kind of entity organization, um, they will probably need blockchains. I don't see b2c that type of marketing like like selling you know like uh fitness products or like supplements or i'm just trying to think of some like common you know b2c products like uh you know beer and wine or you know uh -huh. food like i don't see blockchain being marketed that way or it really shouldn't maybe if you're a wallet well, that's well, different. i think it depends on what it is it depends on your involvement in crypto for example for example um you know ledger might do some kind they, they have their b2c they have True. They have a hardware wallet. They have a, a physical product that you go online and you buy. You might be reading an article, um, you know, top hardware wallets, and and that either might be written by Ledger or someone affiliated with Ledger. Um, 
Sure. So there's, yeah, in my opinion, there's definitely, you know, you, you mentioned how it's, it's mostly B2B, but there definitely is a, a B2C component in, in my experience. Um, you know, there's much more to crypto than the actual blockchain. There's, there's you know, tech services and there's, there, there's a whole industry that's growing right now at a really, really fast pace um, that will need marketing. And, and, and in, in that marketing plan will be content marketing. Yeah, totally. Um, I think that I, I, I'm making a guess here. My guess would be that the B2C component of blockchain will be very, very small compared to the, what I see is like, it's kind of like the tip of the iceberg. Like there's going to be so much going on behind the scenes, like for us to cash out over here or cash out over there or move this here. I think there's going to be a lot of auxiliary services going on. So that's why I lean, I just think, and again, if we're talking like, where's the majority of the activity and arguably marketing spend going, my guess would be a bigger component towards B2B, but I think you're right. It, there is a B2B to C component from the standpoint of, well, this thing is also meant to be an alternative to traditional centralized banking systems. So you're right in that sense. Um, but it is going to be interesting for sure because it's like, you know, do you consider Gmail B2C? I mean, yeah, totally, right? But at the same time, like there's probably a lot of other stuff behind it that is like crazy, like cloud partnerships that we probably have no idea about. I mean, I worked in IT briefly and it's like you go to these events and you're like, wow, there's like 19 different ways that Amazon and Google like hook up to each other through really weird cloud and SaaS products that we've never heard of. So that's part of why I feel like I'm just thinking again, I'm also thinking long term here. Um, and I just wonder if like, like, to your point, but is Ledger just going to end up in Best Buy? And instead of it being like, B to C, it might just end up in like big box stores. I'm, I don't know. I'm just asking the question, uh, even though I know it's your show. But you know, you do wonder these things, right? It's like, what's going to happen? I, I don't even know. But it's fun to discuss for sure. Yeah, yeah no one knows. My, my point of bringing up Ledger is that, you know, there's a lot more to to crypto than blockchain, you know, blockchain is the, the center component of, of crypto and, and, you know, cryptography and cryptocurrencies, but, um, the industry, you know, the, the whole industry is, is, is massive and, and there, sure. there's all different kinds of businesses in crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for example, think of this podcast, this, this is a, a crypto industry marketing podcast. There's, you know, there's hundreds of, you know, probably thousands of podcasts out there about marketing, about different kinds of marketing, about SEO marketing, about content marketing, um, about, you know, digital marketing, about physical marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, about crypto marketing because that is a whole different industry. Um, so uh, we can go on about that for, for years. Let, <laughs> let's go on to, to the next thing, which is who, who really can benefit from content marketing the most? I would say anyone that needs to educate their audience in a deeper way. Like if you look at um, back to our B2C discussion, um, a lot of those products are kind of like, you know, buy our green drink or green powder because we, you know, it's, you know, we've studied this for like 19 years and like we put it through our lab and we learned all this stuff. It's really great. Um, To me, a lot of the stuff around blockchain is a lot more complicated. And so... I think that enterprise focused uh, just cons- concepts need more education to the you know customer base. Like that's actually a really good point. I didn't even think about that. Um, 
yeah, you you called it education marketing, and 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 crypto and and blockchain is definitely something that I mean, ha- what percentage of the world do you think even understands what a blockchain is? It, it, it's exactly it's single digits for sure, maybe even you know a decimal point. Um, and you know, there's something to be said about you know. What is the like, like, for example, I don't know if you remember when Gmail first came out, they did the whole like everyone gets 50 or not everyone, a few people get 50 invites and they started sharing those invites around. And I remember that there was kind of this like controlled network effect, if you will, because they sort of released it methodically. Right. So I feel like it's going to be really interesting to see if crypto is the same way. Like, is it going to be like that where we kind of have to like push really, really hard in the beginning to just like get that network effect. And then like, as time goes on, it'll become more like, like first it's like, get the, get them to jump on board. And then the rest of the time is like teaching them how to use it. So, uh, that's just to throw another wrench in, in our discussion here, but you know what I mean? It's like content marketing, um, like advertising might be a better solution to just drive people in the door initially, or but then like, as time goes on, nurturing those, that use of your product. And in my opinion, when you talk about apps, you need that ongoing sort of education. And, you know, I don't know what you, what you've observed, but it seems to me like a lot of the, a lot of the types that are hardcore programmers or engineers, they don't always gravitate towards this kind of stuff we're talking about that maybe comes naturally to us. Like, oh, we should be educating our client base or users. A lot of the time for them, they've just kind of been trying to like piece this thing together. So I think, you know, it's really needed to just keep keep people using it and using it more. And and it almost gets comes to a point where you just kind of want to like, like an app, for example, like how many ways can you use that app? Or, you know, like, it's kind of an interesting thing, like what you're talking about, because it's, I think there's so many ways to do it. But but I think the crux of the matter is, is getting people to keep using your stuff, right? Because eventually, if they don't, maybe they'll go to a competitor or something better eventually. Like I'm sure Amazon every day thinks about how do we keep people here and never let them leave. And they seem to be holding on pretty darn well to keeping us in there, almost to my annoyance at times. But, uh, you know, they hey, they've built heck of a freaking machine and there's so much value they're providing that it's kind of hard to, like, justify other options. Right. So so just to kind of, um, you know, and just to go on to the Amazon example a little bit, see, Amazon almost really turns them all on its head because I don't know if you've ever opened up Amazon sellers account. Um, I've done a little bit of e-com stuff, e-commerce, and it is insane. All the information and knowledge and frankly, education they give you, you open up a seller's account, you could probably spend like three hours on tutorials and training that Amazon put out for users on how to use their platform. So that's Again, I'm kind of jumping around here a bunch, but I think that's what's going to start happening. Platforms are going to actually build in education. Look at Binance University or whatever. Like they're going to start building in content. And I see it at higher, at companies that seem to have achieved a certain degree of growth. It's like, well, now you have all these people here. What are you going to tell them? I think the answer to that is content marketing is going to be one thing, one of those things you tell them, which might not be considered content marketing, might just be considered content. But I think between us and our discussion here, it absolutely is marketing, right? Back to our golf discussion. Oh, yeah, I need to improve my short game. Oh, yeah, I'll check out this buyer's guide. Oh, yeah, I'm going to make a purchase, right? I think that's the kind of processes we think about in our work. Um, so, yeah, man. Yeah. Um, so earlier you, you mentioned that, you know, content marketing can 
look like a lot of different things. There's so many channels. There's YouTube. There's podcasts. There's there's blogs. There's there's endless channels you can you know reach out and touch the world with. What what do you in your experience find to be the most uh, worthwhile in terms of the amount of time it takes to produce and and money investment and things like that? Oh man, that's a that's a tough one. But uh, I know it is. It's, Sorry, it's Sorry to throw one, that though. on you. It's a good hard question to ask. I would say. You know, it's funny because I feel like at times I feel like I'm stuck in like internet marketing from like the year 2000 uh, or 2007. Well, you know, there was this whole world of it was like everyone had a sales page, a long form sales page, and it just seemed like everyone was playing that same game. Like you had Frank Kern and Rich Sheffrin and Jay Abraham and, you know, uh, who else do we have back then? You know, uh, uh. Alex Mandosian, teleseminarians. Anyone remember that? <laughs> I love yeah. that. I love that that era. That was such a fun era of just absolute excessive everyone hanging out a shingle for different kinds of marketing. So what I'm trying to say to you is I feel like I'm kind of in this word land and I've started to realize as rich media has really evolved since that time. It's been like 10 to 12, 10, at least 10 plus years since I was kind of diving in deep to a lot of marketing. And that's where I think my direct response content marketing sort of uh, deep programming comes from because I just realized, wow, look at all this movement people are doing. But I think as the web changed and algorithms changed, like, you know, it it became kind of this like, oh, like I'm going to do this so that I am first page on Google. But I actually believe educational marketing, content marketing worked the whole time. But I think everyone was trying to find these shortcuts to like hack that first page of Google, right? Yeah, so well, it's funny. Question. I actually I wanted to bring up SEO. You know, SEO for people that are listening and don't know what that stands for. It's it's search engine optimization. It's it's getting your page, your website, you know, in the top page or top five results of of Google. And it is it potentially is very closely tied to content marketing. Some might consider it a separate thing, but some might consider it even part of content marketing. Yeah. Or. Um, Exactly. But yeah, that, that's that's all. That's a whole. No, what, what is your experience with SEO? Do, do you spend much time on that, or, or or do you not consider that part of content marketing? Yeah. Well, I think this ties in with your original question you were asking, which is sort of like, what's the sort of craft and what's the tricks, right? So again, yeah, I, I wasn't going to let you go. By the way, without no, I know, that. right? So that's that's why I think it was it was really about copywriting for me for a long time like really understand those words and really understand like the how and again driving your your con it's like persuasive content you know study it's kind of what copywriting is to me um but then well before we go even further and you know Mm -hmm. i feel like we're going off into so many different branches of this conversation but it's really a a helpful and and (laughs) informative conversation so i guess it's kind of necessary uh copywriting how, how would you how would you differentiate that from content writing is it part of content writing or is it a separate thing I think it's definitely a part of content writing. And this is where you get that weird like brand journalism crossover, because on the one hand, copywriting historically has been more about getting you the sale for sure. And that's why I think copywriting has been historically more maybe advertising leaning. Remember how I said it's kind of like the Venn diagram, although there's parts of copywriting that cross into sort of a non direct sale approach, like for example, the free golf course, I might actually be employing copywriting tactics to get you to like opt into that free uh, lesson. So even though I'm not necessarily trying to get you a sale, I am trying to get your attention to a particular action. So copywriting, I think is very much around driving action and driving behavior and driving, yeah, driving people to do something, right? Um, 
the content marketing and education piece to me is more of a, I'm going to teach you something up front, maybe even for free. And because I'm doing that, it's building trust, which is a really easy thing to miss in marketing because everyone's just like, you know, hanging out their shingle and, and shilling away. But I think when you really build trust with your audience and like, let's say you get them results up front, like let's say you give away some insane great knowledge and they're just like, uh, that was crazy valuable. Well, guess what? Now they're going to come back to you and say, what else does he have or she? And so, you know, I think it's all, it's a trust building exercise as well. You know, a lot of these concepts don't exist in a vacuum. There are people involved, right? So I could like convince someone to do something once, but maybe if they didn't like the product or the product was bad or our service was bad, they might go away eventually. So I do think the copywriting is like, okay, am I, I could hook you in, but I think the content marketing and the educational marketing is what keeps you there because I'm like feeding into your interests. That's where I think a lot of this is very journalism oriented. I don't know if a lot of journalists have woken up to this that, hey, writing from a journalistic perspective in a marketing context is actually really awesome because you're kind of simulating that process of someone reading an article and but it's but you control the the medium so to speak like a digital marketer I'm a big fan of their work they were talking about how uh I mean, when you say content marketing we're really talking about publishing, right? Like have you ever heard about how a uh, Red Bull is not a energy drink company, they're a media company? That's kind of that, wild. Who's saying that? Who's saying that? Well, there's Red Bull Media. And so they actually have a media arm. They literally have a media arm. And they, if you look at all these like events that they'll put together, like surfing. And um, I, I heard that on a presentation. I can't remember exactly which presentation it was. But if you look at their uh, the way they're structuring their business, there's literally Red Bull Media. So if you look at the way Red Bull is approaching it, um, they're actually building a media arm around their brand such that Red Bull Media is its own entity. It's freaking nuts. It's like, wow. It's, I mean, it's probably smart. It, it's It's got to be smart. I mean, I don't know. I'm not an energy drink guy, but I imagine it's not, you know, a, 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 as booming as it, as it once was because people have a little more education around it and it's not, you know, the most thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm into surfing and extreme sports and all that stuff. And uh. I, I see Red Bull everywhere. It's they, they definitely are an incredibly capable marketing and, and media company. Yeah. And if I decide as Red Bull, hey, what if I just like invest an insane amount of resources into like having like Red Bull TV and then I get the rights to like stream that open, you know, uh, the, the US Open surfing tournament like that is brilliant. And you know what? It, it almost scares me how aggressive they are with their media because it's like, my God, if you were like energy drink competitor number two, how would you even get in the door? You know, it'd be like, oh my God, because they literally are like dominating the entire event. And to your point, as a result, the positioning of their brand. And so I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's like, wow, if you really learn those publishing tools, as you, as you say, obviously Red Bull's doing it on a whole nother level. That is pretty interesting. Like, it's almost like you can become your own media outlet if you're, you know, if you can tap into people's interests enough and like if, if they respond by watching, well, you got something there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so something, you know, I go to a lot of these events, as you know, but as, as you do also. And when I'm talking to people involved in the industry, there's, there's this general consensus that, you know, the tech is, it's not fully there, but it's it's already at a point where it is dramatically capable of changing the world. 
Um, mm-hmm. But it can't do that until people real like until the average Joe knows how to use it and knows, um, you know, what, what it's capable of and, and, and how he can interact with a blockchain without losing his money and things like that. And I, I, I'm glad we're I'm glad you drew the comparison between content marketing and education marketing, because I think that's a huge piece of of crypto that's that's kind of missing. Um, yeah. People are focused on just raising awareness around Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and things like that. But not a lot of people are out there, you know, really explaining how to use it, explaining how it works. Um, and I am very much looking forward to people that, you know, start doing that because it, it, it's almost a, a noble venture because you're not necessarily going to be, you know, monetizing, promoting Bitcoin or things like that unless you own a, you know, a massive amount of whatever it is that you're promoting. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I want to thank you for, for, for connecting that there. Yeah, totally. Um, um, and really quick, just while we're on random sort of musings of marketing, there was like, I, I think this is something really fun. We could maybe as time goes on, we could like break down like ads and stuff like that. But I, I, I love going to old school ads and like there's cert- there's a certain energy and intelligence in them. So uh, I think this was from Claude Hopkins, if I'm not mistaken, uh, but it was for Schlitz beer. And in the ad, he was talking about how they made the freaking beer and i was like that is a trip man he literally was like we like steam like sterilize the the bottles and we like do this and we brew the beer like this and that and it's like the ad totally comes to life and it's like he's kind of educating you though it's almost like he's like you know giving you kind of a like a little like you know, clear window into like, here's what it looks like when we make beer. He did it through words. That's why I really love old school copywriters because they just brought ideas and concepts and words to life. Um, and and I, I just think that it's so awesome when you can do that. And if you can combine like content marketing in quotes and advertising, I think that's a magical moment because you, you're sort of capturing people's imagination, but you're also maybe making the sale, which is probably keeps everyone happy, right? So... Exactly. It's funny, funny that you brought up the, the Schlitz beer because over the summer I was in Amsterdam where, um, where Heineken is based. Nice. And I went to the, the Heineken Museum and I, I'm not a huge uh, beer drinker. I've, you know, when I am drinking beer, it's, it's usually something simple like Bud Light or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, Coors Light. And we went to this, you know, the Heineken Museum and a huge part of it was, you know, I'm realizing now content marketing. It was, it was, you know, rooms of people educating how Heineken is made and, you know, the history of it. And, and because of that, it's not to be understated that it does, when done correctly, it does create sort of a relationship between you and the product because I, I was never a Heineken guy. I I drink Heineken all the time now because of it, Mm. because I, I, I have been there. I've seen it made. I've seen the, you know, the, the, the the huge machinery making it. And, and it's sort of, you know, I enjoy that trip. I enjoyed going to the museum and now I enjoy Heineken. I just, you bringing that up kind of uh, put that in my mind. It really makes you wonder if like, seriously, should makers mark just like live stream their freaking uh, like distillery. Cause like I, my, my friend, you know, he had, turned 40 and we went to Kentucky and I like literally saw where maker's mark was made. And I almost feel like if they had kind of shown me that reality a little bit sooner, I might like exactly to your point. Cause now when I have maker's mark, I'm like, I was there. And so I know exactly what you're talking about. I think this is actually a great, in a way breakthrough might sound weird to say that, but like 
this is what we've just talked about, in my opinion, is a great reason for people to show what they're doing. I, I don't care if you're a company, if you're Nike or you could be big, you could be small. Like there's something to be said about showing people what's going on. Like and back to my point earlier about brand journalism, I think there's a huge opportunity to kind of do the like gonzo journalism, like almost like uh, right, like from a journalist perspective, even if it's someone within the company, because that perspective is very unique. We're not there making the shoes or making the beer or making the product. And so when you open that like vision to us, I think it kind of does something. I don't know. For you, it sounded like it did. And definitely for me, too. So, yeah, it, it's almost making me think of all the things that I don't even realize, um, you know, intentionally to get me to to draw a positive relationship with a brand. It, it, exactly. It's uh yeah, it's super, super interesting stuff. But yeah. again, we went on a pretty long tangent. Yeah, sorry, dude. The I, question was, oh God. don't forget <laughs> the original question. All right, so true. YouTube, blogs, SEO, whatever channels there are for for content marketing. What are you What are you a fan of? Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I've grown up on social media like Facebook and blogging, but I, I feel like I ignored video for a long time, and I feel like that was to my own like loss. You know what I mean? Not that I have any regrets, but I, I will say I, I kind of feel like I wish I had jumped on the video bandwagon a lot earlier. Um, but to, but to that point, I still feel like there's plenty of value to hanging out your shingle on a blog because you're creating that long tail. And again, this is another good reason for why you want to create content that can kind of survive a long time, um, like creating content that's fairly timeless. This is why I love like what is type blog posts. So when we talk about a blog post, you know, I like to really go hardcore, like in depth. Like I remember I wrote a blog post like what is cloud computing? Well, that post, I wrote it like four years ago or three years. No, maybe like at this point maybe three years ago but like okay. you go read that post and it's still pretty like yep that's still cloud computing you know and it's been three years so i actually i actually look at it as write pillar timeless content on your blog if you're going to do a blog and you can also use certain tools that i know we're going to maybe dive into here a little bit about finding out what's ranking well and sort of uh you know you can kind of cherry pick what's already getting a lot of attention um, the piece that I would say I'm doing more of now and, and want to keep doing more of would be definitely video because I think video gets a very, a higher participation level than sometimes a blog does. Like it can be really hard to get a blog to sort of go viral, so to speak in quotes, but a video has a much higher probability to so-called go viral in quotes. But even if it doesn't go viral, heck, if you get a thousand people watching it, 5,000, 10,000, that's not too shabby. So like I said, I've been in social media land, I've been in blog land, but I've also observed the shift in those platforms. I mean, it's kind of scary to think that we could be at the whim of Facebook and Google. And I don't know if you remember, you know, a few years ago when like people started losing their freaking minds about their Facebook reach going down. It actually happened, I think, multiple times because I remember in the early days they like throttled some kind of reach. I don't know what kind of strings they're pulling behind the scenes. Um, so, yeah, so I would sort of a lot of strings, it seems. Exactly. And so I would almost caution people against even though I did it a lot myself, like being too embedded in someone else's platform, as great as the results could be, I always come back to, are you building a list? Are you building content on your own domain? Even if maybe the results, you know, might not be as awesome as like Facebook or YouTube, not to say don't do those things, but I just feel like you always have to kind of keep in the back of your head that this could change. And like, where is your audience? Are they on someone else's platform? Maybe we should think about that, right? So even beyond 
just generating the audience is where is your audience and where and are they on your domain, your list, right? I always kind of like clobber people over the head about their list because, you know, heck, if you used Facebook in the early days and you just like aggressively built your list and then the one day they turn off the pipes, you're like, that's cool. I got 10,000 people on my email list. It's fine. You know what I mean? So I think we have to approach things a little bit holistically and always make sure we're directing them back to our list. So I actually am of the opinion, like, even if my results, like compared to maybe some other, like, you know, marketer are not great, but even if we just built a little bit of a list, I'm still like, well, at least we built our list that we'll have for a while. Right. Um, so, so that's a, that's an, another angle to that, but I don't know if I answered your question. I really do feel like I'm jumping around here. Hope you don't mind. <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't mind at all. I don't, it's, it's a, it's a, a topic that we're both passionate about. So naturally that's going to happen. Yeah. This is like more like how we would actually be talking out in the world. Yeah, not like yeah. this sort of rehearsed perfect thing, which, which I enjoy. So anyway. that's fine. That's, that's how we like to do things here at Coinbound. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, another thing to be said about um, drawing attention to your own platform is analytics you know, mm. Facebook, you know, if you, if you post on Facebook or YouTube or whatever, it, whatever channel it is, you, you get some form of analytics usually, but it's, it's typically not enough to, to really customize your content and see what's working. Um, when you own, you know, when you have your own blog, I highly recommend, you know, I, people come to me all the time for, for marketing consultations, things like that. And one of the first things I always look for is, is do you have a blog? Because a lot of them don't, a lot of them don't think it's important, but when you can get people that are interested in your service, you know, they, they don't even necessarily have to be interested in exactly your service, just something similar. Maybe they Googled something similar and they got a result that, that brought them to you. You can retarget them much more effectively than you could through, you know, any kind of social media platform. Yeah. And that's a good point about Facebook and it's just the audiences that they're building. So that's another good point is like, you know, we can use like, to your point, you could use an email list and upload it to Facebook and generate an audience around that list. So that is another good point, which is it's not just like one way, like, you know, I feel like web 2.0 or whatever point it was, was like generate a li like I said, back in the 2007 internet marketing days, it was like, you know, you know, uh, drive people to my list and then sell products, build lists, sell products. Like that felt like that was very like mid two thousands, like internet marketing. But to your point now, it's like Facebook's really changed the game by making it all about a really great experience. And they actually reward back to our original discussion of content marketing. I feel like they reward good content marketers because if you're even if you're a brand, but you're getting people engaged with your content, Facebook gives you basically kudos, so to speak, right? And, and you might know a little more about that than me, but just like they are rewarding brands that are getting good engagement. When was that metric ever out there? Like were advertisers like, we want people to enjoy the ad, you know? <laughs> no, that never was the case. Only now with Facebook's sort of, we want people to have a good time mentality has really like just changed the game. I've even heard that a lot of old school direct response people and copywriters that are used to that old school advertise to people and use my magical words to manipulate you aren't able to keep up in this new world. So it's kind of cool, like you doing the show and us talking about this. This is new ground to be covered, even though there's awesome people like Claude Hopkins that we can learn a ton from. Um, there's still a lot of new ground to be covered in frontiers. And that's why it's, it is kind of cool that you're bringing this to sort of like crypto and marketing. And I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, new cutting edge things to come out of like 
specifically the crypto and blockchain use case of marketing itself. But again, this is like going to be a whole nother freaking show. So I don't want to have to open that can. Yeah, no, we'll, <laughs> we'll definitely bring you back on and, you know, go down all the other rabbit holes we just dug for ourselves. I know, right? <laughs> uh, so one of my last questions is, is in regards to software and, and tools that you use. Um, what is there out there that, that you use that you find helpful? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, you know, I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence, but, you know, I think starting with simple like email marketing stuff is really great. Like, you know, I always, I've recommended, you know, MailChimp to a lot of people just to get started with managing their list because sometimes like people don't have like, you know, they're like, oh, do I have a CRM or this email marketing thing? And so like, you know, getting people to like put their list on MailChimp and to your point earlier about getting them on a blog, that's a similar sort of like important fundamental step that I've directed people towards. So using sort of the MailChimps of the world or some kind of email marketing management uh, tool or platform is super important. And again, not to insult anyone's intelligence sounds so rudimentary, but it's often very missed because people like think about what, what happens. People start going towards Facebook and, oh, I got to be on Instagram and, oh, I got to be on YouTube. And, you know, I was talking to some realtors and I'm like, I ask them about the list stuff and I see them running over towards, well, we got to keep up on Instagram. And I, I think it's so interesting because everyone's fighting for like putting the coolest video up on Instagram, but they're not, comp they're not taking that same amount of effort to like make sure their list is in order and that they have a good even cadence of emailing that list. Right. Um, so that's, that's one area I think. And again, that's not exactly a good tool per se. I, as far as well, MailChimp is a tool. Yeah. Right. MailChimp, MailChimp answers my question. Good. Okay. I wasn't sure how, uh, like, I almost feel like I'm like totally overthinking this because I'm like, I got to come up with some really amazing tools. But uh, I like <laughs> Neil Patel, man. He's like a really cool, like he's a good marketer, but he also is trying to like upset the cart a little bit where you've got stuff like BuzzSumo, where you can like look up a domain and, you know, they, they give you like a little bit of, of that for free where you can see how content performs. But uh, Neil Patel created this other one called Uber Suggest, and he's basically his whole thing is is I'm gonna take all these competitors that are out there like BuzzSumo, and I'm gonna make a free version of that. So his his thing, um, I've tried it a bit, and I don't know. I would say it's as good or better than BuzzSumo, but I still think it's really cool that he's putting out a free tool where you could look up keywords for free, and he gives you a decent amount of data, um, so you can tell like his sort of. Uh, world domination plan is like, let's get all the marketers, you know, on my platform using my free tools so that I can, uh, mm -hmm. of course, market them more stuff, which I, uh, he had, I absolutely should. But, uh, so those two tools, like, yeah, he, yeah. he really is kind of the, uh, he really carves a nice little niche for himself. He, he definitely yeah. is all over the place. Right? You know, I, I, you can't talk to anyone in the marketing industry who doesn't know who that is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know what else kind of blew my mind? Like it made me feel a little bit less like self-loathing about, you know, figuring out marketing, which is he had like, the, he was the one even talking about algorithms changing and he's like, you know, oh yeah, our YouTube like overnight, you know, crashed and like, they're battling the same stuff too. And, these, and, and it kind of blows my mind that they're such pros about it because they like, they're also battling the same stuff. So like when people like, you know, I don't know, I don't know how it is for others listening, but I've always felt like, oh, I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. I'm, it doesn't matter. You don't actually have to know enough, be good enough. Why? Because even the pros are doing trial and error. 
and trying new stuff and like waking up the next week and stuff's changed. So I think it's so important for us to step back and say, hey, it's okay to learn this stuff and it might be hard. And I think you, you and I are always learning new stuff and, you know, to kind of be able to be the best that we can for the people that come to us for, for knowledge. Right. So um, that's just I mean, that's just a random not, not even like marketing exactly, but just kind of like give yourself a little break. It's okay. And everyone's learning. That's kind of one thing I realize. I don't care if you're a pro or just starting like everyone's learning just at different levels. And, you know, certainly I feel like I wish I would learn certain things faster, but uh, it does, it does make me feel good to know that even the pros are, are figuring stuff out. So. All right. Well, before we, uh, before we let you go, how can our listeners find you? What uh, social medias are you on? You have a website, anything like that? Yeah, you can find me on, uh, let's, let's go with Twitter at healing vibes and you can look me up on LinkedIn, Aaron Mungle, A-A-R-O-N-M-A-N-G-A-L. And uh, yeah, I'll definitely reach out and I do some podcasting as well. The blockchain space, not not in the marketing realm, but just kind of like general sort of discussion around it. So uh, but I, I, I love this. I love this prompt that you uh, have put together. I actually listened to your intro. I didn't even tell you that I did that, but I really liked what you had to say. And I'm actually kind of excited to learn from others and as someone that's on the show, I like the platform to share and kind of like, it's kind of weird. Like when I was talking about marketing, I'm like, wow, that's so different than the experience of doing marketing. You know what I mean? It was kind of like meta. So, yeah. uh, so I appreciate you opening up this, this, this uh, platform and uh, I'm looking forward to learning from others and uh, hopefully coming back one day if I didn't go on too many tangents for you. No, absolutely. I mean, all those tangents, you know, we went on them because they're, they're really valid, interesting points. So I, I definitely will, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get you on and we'll discuss all those things separately and we'll try to stay on a little more topic next time. Maybe <laughs> I know. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's good stuff, man. And I think, uh, yeah, I'm, like I said, looking forward to it. And, um, again, great content marketing right here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks a lot. That's, that's all I got for you today. Uh, thanks for doing it. Thanks for having me.